Colossians 4, verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving or with thanksgiving. Do you guys know the um, word association game? Sometime in your life you've played it. Like, uh, you can either answer in your mind or, or, or say it out loud. If I said red, did I hear socks? <laughs> Green. Did I hear monster? Okay. American. Flag. Oh, there we go. Good. Beach. Okay, good. Different things. The word association games. You know, my mind, every time I pray, plays a similar game on me. It's kind of comical, but it's pretty sad. Before I know it, I may be saying, Mom, and I'll be dwelling on apple pie before it's over. You know, I mean, your, your, your mind just has this way. D.A. Carson observed that prayer is a task from which man is easily deflected. Oh, yeah, that's my experience. In Colossians 4, verse 2, Paul exhorts the saints to pray. And in his little verse there, we see the characteristics of a healthy prayer life. Our prayer life should be characterized by diligence. We see that in devote yourselves. In alertness or watchfulness, we see that in the second phrase, keeping alert in it. And finally, it should be characterized by thanksgiving. Diligence, alertness, and thanksgiving, the marks of a healthy prayer life. And I'd like for us to think on these characteristics so that we can arm ourselves with this discipline. Because if you're like me, you're not satisfied where you're at at this moment. So, a healthy prayer life. The first part of the phrase, devote yourselves to prayer or continue in prayer. The prayer life is characterized by diligence. Now, diligence denotes both persistence, you don't let go of it, you keep pursuing it, and fervor. You don't let go of it. The word translated continue or devote yourselves has its root in the word for strength. And so behind the idea of devoting is grabbing on to something, holding on to it very, very tightly. It requires earnest adherence, persistence, and fervor. A good illustration of holding fast, devoting themselves is found in Acts 2, verse 42. We will be coming right back to this, but flip on over to Acts 2, verse 42. The early believers in Acts 2, 42 says they were continually devoting themselves, okay, same word, to the apostles' teaching, and a fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They continued steadfastly in it. The early church survived because it knew it had something precious that it was not going to let drop. I think that if my prayer life is going to thrive and be healthy, I have to have that same kind of persistence and fervor because I believe that I'm on to something big. I actually believe that prayer changes things. If I don't believe that, I'm not inclined to occupy myself with it, 
to pay persistent attention to it, to be devoted to it. Now, many of us, including myself at times, are already down for the count here. You know, if I asked whether or not you affirmed that prayer makes a difference, if you asked me that, I would most certainly say, yes, it makes all the difference in the world. But practically, I don't believe that. Because if I did, I would adhere, cling, persist in it, and be diligent. So it takes diligence, continue. Now it manifests itself in a lifestyle. Now linguists will look at that verse back in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, and they're going to say there's a significance to the article that is not translated in front of prayer. Just devote yourselves to, and it literally says, the prayer. Now, if they weren't saying it, I probably wouldn't know that this was significant, but what they say about that untranslated article in front of prayer, devote yourself to the prayer, is that it means continue in the realm of prayer. So in other words, you're not supposed to dedicate yourselves to a specific prayer, as in saying your rosary or, you know, like I have to adhere to this prayer, but they're saying just in general, devote yourselves to the realm of prayer. Now, what exactly does that mean? It means that it includes all form of prayer and devotion to God. Uh, Paul himself in Colossians gives us an example of one of the types of prayer. Let's look at uh, chapter 1, just one page back, verse 3. What does it mean to be in the realm of prayer, to dedicate yourself to that? Chapter 1, verse 3. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. And then look at verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul illustrates that prayer can be informal. When Paul here says that he is praying always for them and he is never ceasing, does that mean he has become a monk and all day long he's muttering under his breath for them? Well, probably not. I think it means that Paul has uh, grabbed onto a posture of prayer. In other words, anytime they come to mind, he brings them before God. Anytime he's on his knees formally, he brings them to God. It is kind of an affectionate hyperbole, a little bit of an exaggeration, but he is saying that both formally and informally, he is always keeping them before God, and he is not stopping it. Now, in chapter 4, verse 12, we have another. So Paul, he does it formally and informally. Let's look at chapter 4, verse 12. We're talking about what it means to be in the realm of prayer, to dedicate ourselves to it. So in chapter 4, verse 12, we see Epaphras, who is one of your number, in other words, he, he knows them personally. A bond slave of Jesus Christ sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. Uh, when it says that he is laboring fervently or earnestly for you, that comes from a word that is often translated agony or wrestling. It's a, it's a sports term. In other words, Epaphras is grappling for them. He is fighting an all-out spiritual war. Now, that kind of prayer doesn't happen when you're brushing your teeth. 
You know, there are the prayers you can say when you're on the run, but then there are times where you are before God wrestling with spiritual powers, and that is what Epaphras is doing. And so I believe these two illustrations show that diligence or continuing includes both formal and informal prayer. Now, how you make this happen is going to vary from person to person, but we must make it happen. Acts chapter 6, verse 4 is instructive in this. It says that, let's go and flip over and look at it. Just keep your thumb in, in Colossians. How do we make this happen? So the apostles said, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. We are not apostles. They devoted themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. But the point that I'd like to draw from here is that when they saw that they were being distracted by good things, what were they doing? They were administering gifts and food for the widows and other such things. So I would agree, would you agree that that is a good thing that they were doing? But yet they said it was a distraction. Isn't that true that so often we fill our lives with good things, fine things, that are even approved by God, so many of these things that it overruns our prayer life. But what did they have to do? Well, the apostles delegated. That's the first prototype deacons, where they turned that over to them. So they had to plan in order to devote themselves. And I'm not saying that we are in any ways like the apostles, but I would say that if I am going to have prayer in my life, I am going to have to plan to do so. It doesn't just happen by accident. So a healthy prayer life is characterized by diligence. Further, a healthy prayer life, back in Colossians, is characterized by alertness. So the first phrase, devote yourself, that speaks to diligence. The second phrase, keeping alert in it, or some translations say keeping watch in it. A healthy prayer life is characterized by alertness. Now, alertness is a characteristic of all Christians. We think of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, where it says, the devil, like a roaring lion, is walking about seeking whom he may devour. And at the beginning of the verse, it says, watch, keep alert. And so you and I have to keep alert as believers because the devil would like nothing more than to eat us. In other words, to destroy our effectiveness, to take away our heavenly rewards, he would like to destroy our life. So all Christians have to keep watch and be alert of the enemy's devices. I would say that alertness is especially important in the realm of prayer. There are dangers specific to prayer. And I think that all the classic enemies of the Christian, which you know what they are, the world, the flesh, and the devil, all those things weigh in especially heavy in our prayer lives. What's the first one, possibly? The flesh, physical sleepiness or sluggishness of the mind, in other words, distraction. Flip it over to uh, Matthew chapter 26 which we read, Jesus chides his inner ring, Peter, James, and John, for exactly this. 26, verse 40. 
And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, So, you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Well, this is what they gave into physical sleepiness. So here, the flesh, one of our enemies, because of their emotional and physical exhaustion, made them weak. Now, our humanness is not sinful. Our need to eat and sleep, etc., is not sinful. But as theologian, pastor John Piper said at one point, often our humanness is co-opted by the enemy. In other words, he brings our humanness into a way that into a spiritual realm. Their need for sleep is not bad, but their timing of their sleeping was very, very bad. Could it be that uh, not only our flesh gets in the way, could it be that the source of our mental sluggishness when we pray, our distraction is the world? I mean, just where do I get this idea that if I prayed less and expended more energy that the outcome would be more certain. That is the world's values coming into play. I always, I always hope this is apocryphal, but it was said that Martin Luther, uh, when his day, prayed three hours every day, except when he didn't have time, and then he prayed six. That's, that's a guilt inducer, and so maybe it's apocryphal. But, but the idea is that when he was under particular pressure, he ramped up his prayers, which is exactly the opposite of what I do. I say, I don't have time. I've got to get busy. Well, it's the world that says those who expend more energy and push themselves forward, those are the ones that succeed, but not in God's economy. That's the world's values coming out. And so the flesh comes into play, the world comes into play, and guess who else comes into play? Satan. Look at verse 41 of Matthew 26. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Just what is this temptation that we are liable to enter into if we do not pray? I would say that it is blundering about in our own strength, perhaps like Peter with lots of bravado, not even knowing that you are in peril. Remember, Jesus said, Peter, Satan desires to have you, but I have prayed for you. Peter says, I'll never forsake you. All the bravado that Peter had, right? Prayerlessness is a form of rebellion against God, and those who wander about in this state have no defense from Satan's designs. Just ask poor Peter crying and crying and crying out of the courtyard. You wander around in that state every prayerless day. I do. Specifically, I find the tools of Satan that he attacks me with are unbelief, this isn't doing any good, why bother, and formality, where I just forget that I am communing with my father and I just offer up these rote prayers with all the cliches and words cease to have any meaning. Formality and unbelief are two great tools of Satan because if he can get us to shift into those, our prayers are not effective. Part of being spiritually alert and watching out for temptation, no doubt, is being disciplined. 
having a strategy to go overcome the flesh. For me, this includes working hard to get enough sleep, praying at my most alert time of day, drinking coffee. <laughs> it may mean that you have a list for discipline's sake, or maybe some three by five cards, so you can track and praise God for what he's doing and actually not let anybody fall through the cracks. Maybe one of the disciplines we ha need to have for staying alert is just being still. It's hard to be still. It helps me literally to be still, breathing for about a minute and trying to picture the throne with the Father in his light, the Son there to intercede for me, knowing that the Holy Spirit is going to take my pitiful attempts at communication and turn them into words that are too wonderful to be described. Actually picturing the God that I'm approaching, marveling that I'm allowed to be there. And then if my mind starts to wander, wander around, it seems rude to me that I just dismissed him from my presence that easily. And so it actually helps me to picture the throne. I'm sure you could add many, and I would actually love to hear uh, some of you saints that have, have triumphed in this area of your life. I would love to hear what you do. So you can approach me afterwards in this. But whatever it is, we have to be disciplined about it so that we don't fall into the temptation of sluggishness, self-dependence, and sleepiness. So along with diligence, which we saw that in the first phrase back in Colossians, continue or devote yourselves to prayer, along with alertness, keeping alert in it. Then it says with, and uh, the New American Standard inserts an attitude of, now that's implied, but not necessarily there, with thanksgiving. A healthy prayer life is characterized by thanksgiving. Ron, isn't it amazing? Chris picked those songs? I love that. That's great. This thankfulness springs, where does it come from? Our life in Christ. In Colossians, Paul has dismissed the heretics that were threatening them in chapter 2, verse 23. Let's look at that. He's dismissed these heretics that are threatening their spiritual life. These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. So the, the Gnostics had come to the Colossians and they were saying that in order to have real spiritual life, you either have to indulge in all fleshly things because it doesn't matter, or you have to abstain. You have to be an aesthetic. And Paul says, no, no, no. These are, these are earthly. They have no value against fleshly indulgence. So he says that they are empty. And now in chapter 3, verse 1, all the way through chapter 4, verse 1, Paul talks to these Colossians where completeness exists and thankfulness factors in majorly. And so let's look at a few ways that we need to uh, cultivate thankfulness in our life because boy do I need this. You know grumbling is part of our culture, isn't it? Griping is huge. I tell you I found that nowhere else than, UP, uh, than at UPS. No one is ever happy, only happy when grumbling and complaining. And uh, we take that on, don't we? We complain about everything. But we can have thankfulness because of our life in Christ. Look at verse 15 of chapter 3. 
Paul goes bam, bam, bam. He says thankfulness three times in three verses, 15, 16, and 17. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Here he is addressing us as a body of believers. He's talking to them all together here, and he is telling them that thankfulness is cultivated as we share together the peace Christ brought to us and learn to operate as one body. We are a pretty um, varied group, are we not? We come from many different walks in life, social, economic spheres, races. We are a very, very differing group. But we have something that binds us together. The peace of Christ rules in our hearts. And we are called into one body. We have to let the peace of Christ keep us in tune with one another. No discord. It's like our orchestra didn't tune up before. And I don't know what all the notes on the instruments are, but I'm sure they're quite different. Right, Scott? And, uh, and if you didn't tune up, it would sound awful. Every once in a while, you'll hear the organ be on a different note than the piano because of, of whatever reason. It's like, ah, right? And, and that can be happening in our midst. We have to keep in tune with each other. And we have to reject going off and doing our own thing because we were called into one body. How do we do that? How do we have peace with one another when we're so very different and sometimes it's so hard? Well, you have to cultivate thankfulness for each other. And that's why he says at the end of verse 15, and be thankful. Now, why does he say that after saying, be unified, act as a body of believers, and be thankful? Well, I think because the only way that we can have unity and harmony with each other is if we are thankful for one another. Would it change our church if we were thankful for each other and thankful for our leadership instead of grumbling? Author by the name of Ann Voskamp describes a wrestling to get through to her teenage son who was shutting her out. She says to him, son, you can't positive think your way out of negative feelings. Feelings work faster than thoughts. The only way to fight a feeling is with a feeling. Feel thanks, and it's absolutely impossible to feel angry. We can only experience one emotion at a time, and we get to choose which emotion do we want to feel. Would we be different? Would we be more thankful in our lives if all of the believers that we interacted with, we audibly, perhaps, mentally gave thanks for that person, especially the ones that are hard for us? Thankfulness in verse 16 not only accompanies our unity, but it is the result of allowing the Spirit to control us. Look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Uh, I've always, I will always be indebted to um, John MacArthur one time for showing the relation between this verse and Ephesians 5.18. In Ephesians 5.18, you see those same, exact same things, singing, um, submitting, and being thankful. You see the exact same things, except instead of letting the word of Christ richly dwell within you, that one says, let, uh, be letting the, it says being filled with the Spirit. In other words, there's an inseparable connection between Ephesians 5.18, being filled with the Spirit, 
and letting the word of Christ dwell in us. And they're essentially the same thing. When I am submitting fully to the spirit, I am letting God's word have control in my life. And the results are always the same thing. Speaking to each other in an edifying way, singing and thanksgiving. You see that in both package, passages. And so thankfulness is a result of allowing the spirit or the rich word of Christ to control us. So if you want to be thankful, cultivate thankfulness for each other in our corporate uh, witness. We need to let the spirit control us if we want to be thankful. And then finally, in verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Thankfulness naturally accompanies our freedom in Christ. Every detail we see in this verse, whatever you do in word or deed, so every detail, words, actions, whatever, is to be done in the name of the master. In other words, what does it mean to, um, to do everything in the name of Jesus? Well, there's some debate about that, what exactly it carries, but I believe it means that we act as his followers. We are his representatives on earth. Now, this is important because in Paul's teaching, gone is the time of the law where we are governed by rules and statutes and principles. What replaces it is that we operate under the law of Christ, the law of love. In other words, the New Testament gives us principles in which we make decisions to the glory of God as the situation arises and as the Holy Spirit prompts us. That is our rule for life. And Paul here is saying that he is giving us one of those rules. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. In other words, act as his followers. An appropriate accompaniment of the freedom that he is asking the Colossians to live in is thankfulness, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And so we never forget where this freedom and all good things come from because we're giving thanks. With thanksgiving, the last part of that verse literally reads, in thanksgiving. It's what is known grammar as a dative of sphere. And what that means is this. It means that we live in the realm or the atmosphere of thanksgiving. So you want your prayer to succeed, you have to live in the atmosphere of thanksgiving. And so thanksgiving is the air which prayer breathes. It is the open space in which healthy prayer dances. It's the soil in which healthy prayer springs from. My prayers flounder because my gratitude flounders. My gratitude flounders because of my hardness of heart. Unbelief dogs me. God can't use me. God can't change me. God won't guide me. I'm the one who got myself into this mess. I don't see any possible way out of this. So why pray? The exact opposite of that kind of mentality, medicine, is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is my way of submitting to the hand of my master. When I am trying to get out of the desert that he put me in, I'm trying to get out of the pressure cooker, I'm saying I don't like these circumstances, and the sooner I get about out, then I'll be thankful. 
Instead of saying, you put me here, and I'm going to stay here, and I'm going to thank you for it. And that is my way of accepting what he has put before me. Unbelief kills prayer. It kills thanksgiving, and no prayer happens when unbelief and ingratitude reign. Maybe this is where we go wrong. Natalie's reading a book called uh, 1,000 Gifts. It's by that author that I quoted a little bit ago. And uh, this, this woman, um, Ann Voskamp, uh, I believe she has, she has a number of children, lives on a farm, and she is in a serious fight for joy. Very, very transparent. And uh, the thing that changed her in life, the principle that changed her life, was she noticed that eucharisteo, which is the word for thanksgiving, has the word charis, which is the word for grace. And a slight variation is joy. And so in that one word, she began tracing thanksgiving through scripture. She saw that in eucharisteo, thanksgiving is grace, and from grace comes joy. And she is looking for joy in her life. And she has put her finger on that in order to have joy and grace flowing in her life, she must be thankful. She makes the comment that if you look through the Bible for Thanksgiving, that always before a miracle proceeds, uh, Thanksgiving always precedes miracles. Before Jesus raised Lazarus, he, he said, I thank you that you have heard from me. Before he took the lunch, he said, I thank you, even when there was not enough. And I tend to give thanks when I have enough. I say, God, you've given me enough, so thank you. But how often do I say, I don't have enough, I can't do this, I can't see my way out, and I say, thank you. And I don't think there's any joy, I agree with her, joy or grace until I live in thanksgiving. And what she has done is begun journaling a thousand things for which she is thankful. And there's as simple as things of beauty and things of ugliness, as, as um, she calls it, boy toys, you know, like seeing a messy room. She thanks God for her boys, that this is showing their creativity, etc. And she is recording that. It is a battle. Well, maybe I need to take up that battle, and maybe you do too, in order to cultivate thanksgiving. Diligence, alertness, and thanksgiving. These are the signs, and maybe they are the means of a healthy prayer life. Do you want one? I know I do. So let's ask the Lord to give us the grace needed to change, and thank him that he will. Let's pray. Lord, you heard it. This is what we're asking, that you would change us into people of prayer. Lord, please help us to accept with gratitude the things that you put before us, especially when we are shorthanded, when we don't have enough resources. Lord, I pray that you would keep us alert, realize that the enemy hates prayer, fears prayer, and is going to fight overtime for us not to. Lord, I pray that you would make us people of prayer. Pray that I would be continuing and persistent, alert, and I'd be grateful for all things. Well, I pray this for each person here as well. Well, I ask that the Holy Spirit now would work in our hearts so that as we step out, we would purpose to be people of prayer before you. Lord, we ask these things in Christ's name.